My dear friends, if you've ever seen the cover of a Manischewitz bottle with two people carrying what looks like a portable sanctuary, then you get the visual for this week's Torah portion, Truma, Book of Exodus, chapters 25 through 27. The ancient tabernacle was also called a mishkan, a dwelling place, or it's called a mikdash, meaning sanctuary. And that's the basis for every synagogue sanctuary like this one. But did you know that a Jewish home is also called a mini sanctuary, the same word, a mikdash ma'at, where God's presence would be felt and where space itself can become holy. When the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans 2,000 years ago, the early rabbis adapted the idea of material spaces becoming holy places in two places, the synagogue and where most of you are right now, at home. But how do we transform our homes into sanctuaries? By thinking of our homes not only as places for storing material possessions, as my camp friend and Rabbi Joey Hessel writes in the book, Honoring Tradition, Embracing Modernity. No, it's not just a place or houses for storing material possessions. Our homes are places to create spiritual connections. It's a place where Jewish values are lived, like love, tenderness, forgiveness, warmth, joy, family. So much attention is paid this week and in the next three weeks in the Torah to making the sanctuary containing the Ark of the Covenant and the Ten Commandments, the basis for every sanctuary. So much attention is paid to making it a work of art. In fact, the artist, the chief architect, if you will, the blueprint not being the architect you might hire for your house, the blueprint being the Torah. His name was Bitzal El, this chief designer, which means in the shadow of God. And the rabbis said often that we are to make our lives, whether in this sanctuary or the one at home, like a work of art. Artistic expression is one form of divine beauty, isn't it? However, there's another form of beauty, of design. 
less visible to the eye, but even more significant. I'm speaking of inner beauty, the beauty of the heart, mind, and soul. We must remember that the tabernacle we read about in this week's Torah portion was created to be more than aesthetically pleasing. God asks our people to build a tabernacle, a mikdash, a mishkan, so that we might feel something inside and so that God would be felt within the people, not within the edifice itself. And this teaches while we Jews appreciate good taste, great restaurants, external objects, the true Jewish aesthetic, the divine imprint of beauty can only be apprehended from within the human heart, from a parent to a child, from a person to a person. And throughout the centuries, our ancestors stress that nobody is really born beautiful. We can only become beautiful through beautiful acts and beautiful character. When we lived among the Greeks in the ancient world, baby infants who were not physically pleasing were exposed to the sun to die shortly after they were born. Why? Because for the Greeks, the beautiful was holy. Not so for the Jews. For us, the holy is beautiful. And every child imbued with the spirit and spark of God is a beautiful creature regardless of the external look. You know the modern expression of the beautiful person in Jewish terms is the highest compliment you can give someone, even higher than calling someone a mensch. It's the Yiddish phrase, Shana Yid. When we say that someone is a Shana Yid, a beautiful Jew, the meaning is not someone who possesses physical beauty, but one who possesses inner beauty. In the Talmud, beautiful people are referred to as hilchu leora, meaning going with the light, referring to the bright light supposedly emanating from the bodies of people, men and women, distinguished for their beauty. The Hebrew language captures this idea very well in its term for someone who is physically blind. A blind person in Hebrew is referred to as sagi nahor, meaning full of light on the inside. The mystics of the Zohar even describe God in terms of this light of seven emanations or aspects. Beauty, by the way, is one of the seven. But even more significant is the fact that the beautiful aspect of God is sandwiched between loving kindness and majesty. In other words, one of the lines between and the links between 
the ultimate infinite God who's beyond all understanding and the created world with the, all the sparks of divinity it contains. One of the links is the beautiful, loving, magnificent glory of the human soul. Seeing the beautiful according to the rabbis is like capturing and catching a glimpse of God, which explains why they conceived of blessings for every conceivable beauty, whether in nature, animals, or people. There is a blessing in Judaism for seeing a rainbow, for seeing the sky in its purity, and for even learning from an ugly teacher who taught us a beautiful thing. Because ugliness is not a Jewish idea. Beauty is. Judaism seeks to enlarge our understanding and definition of the beautiful. What is holy is beautiful and not vice versa. Praised be you, O Lord our God, ruler of the universe, as our rabbis tell us to say, for creating so many beautiful things in this world and for also creating so many possibilities for the discernment of the beautiful, not only within the world, but within our homes and within each other as we fight to make the world better for our children and for all people. And let us say, Amen.